Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, God, again for being merciful to us, being gracious to us. Lord, giving us uh, what we do not deserve and at the same time uh, giving us or not giving us what we do deserve. And Lord, I pray that our, um, our time in your word would, would truly revolutionize the way we think about life. That everything would be seen through the, the light of your word. And God, we pray uh, for a special filling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just ask and we continue to ask that you would change us, encourage us, and make us more like you. Thank you, God, that you are our strength when we cannot go on. Thank you that you encourage us when we're downtrodden, when we're sad, when we're depressed, that you do not leave us there. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, today's message is called Life in the Spirit, part three, Walk in Wisdom. And if you haven't been here for the first two, you can go on our website and check them out, or you can sign up for the podcast. It's all free, um, and uh, that's whiteflagcalvary.org. You can check it all out there. But the first one, part one, was walk in love, and then part two was walk in light, and then today we're in Ephesians chapter five, and it's walk in wisdom. So every day, life for the child of God, or the believer, or the Christian, or the person who follows Jesus, that's what this chapter is about, what we're supposed to do every single day. Uh, all the mundane things, all the exciting things, and everything in between. And the, the lesson is that we can do all those things in the Spirit. We can walk in the Spirit, whether it's going to Safeway or King Supers or Whole Foods or Trader Joe's for the Denver people, uh, or going to the bank, or uh, walking your dog with the other 42,000 people at Wash Park, um, whether you really, whatever gets you really pumped or excited, you know, all our relationships and all our interactions we have with the world, every single thought, decision, it's all part of what God saves and redeems when we trust in Jesus, when we come to follow him. And it's, it's how you celebrate, it's how you party, it's how you show your competitiveness, it's how you relax, all these different areas that we think sometimes is outside of our church and outside of our relationship with Jesus, but this Study today in this section is where God specifically and directly deals with those things. And the lesson is that we have the freedom to, and the power to do all those things in love, in light, and most importantly, in wisdom. In love, in light, and wisdom. In love because every relationship we have and every time you get gas and the person there or, or every you know, sibling that you have, they should all be marked by selfless love. And we learned about that three, two weeks ago. Not selfish lust, but selfless love. We give, we serve, we honor everyone. Keeping our eyes on Jesus and his supreme example of love. That's life in the spirit, walking in love. Then we learned about walking in light and how that's in our everyday, you know, that every thought, we take them straight to Jesus. Every sin, we run straight to Jesus. And every moment, we, we take it right to him. And in his light, in that fire of his eyes, he burns away the sin. And he helps us to be able to walk in that clarity and freedom. And he makes us fruitful. And so that's what we studied last week. And today we learn that we can walk in wisdom in all these different areas of our life. Every moment can be more efficient, more efficient than it was the moment before. 
We can grow in efficient. It can be more valuable, more useful for Jesus Christ the rest of your days than the past has been. This is about growing to be more efficient. So let's begin in chapter 5, verse 15, and it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. See then that you walk circumspectly, which is not a word we use commonly. It means accurately, accurately, or exactly, or diligently. Now, I'm going to give you guys a warning right now, okay? I'm going to use the word idiot. I'm going to use that word, okay? Now, I, I, don't, want to, I don't mean it in a derogatory manner, and I'm, I'm basically replacing the word fool with the word idiot. Okay, so please be prepared and understand my heart. I don't mean to offend anyone. I just want to bring a little modern context into our conversation. Um, Michael Scott once said to Dwight, what's the most inspiring thing I ever said to you? And Dwight sincerely responded, don't be an idiot. It changed my life. And then it, it came to kind of, it interviewed him about that. And he said, every time I'm about to do something, I stop and ask myself, would an idiot do the thing that I'm about to do? And if the answer is yes, I do not do that thing. It's more funny when Dwight says it. But. And Paul today in Ephesians is basically telling us the exact same thing. Don't be an idiot. Be wise. Don't be a madman. Don't be a crazy person. Don't be a fool, Paul says. Because you're forgiven. We have this grace. We spent five chapters learning about grace and forgiveness and love and all that God has done for us. And it, we truly are free from the law. And so if you mess up, guess what? You're forgiven. You go look at something you're not supposed to, you're forgiven. But Paul says, do not take that and say, all right, I'm going to go be a jerk. I'm going to go dishonor the Lord with my life. Paul says, don't be an idiot. He says, on the contrary, walk circumspectly, which means accurately. It doesn't mean you have to be super smart to please God, which is great for us, right? It means you have to be, it doesn't mean you have to be super strong either. It's all about accuracy. I sometimes feel like the church is like the stormtroopers in Star Wars. They were the worst aim in history. They, they, you know, they thought the Jedi needed like 5,000 blaster rounds fired in their general direction to hit them, and they would never be hit. The Jedi would be having a conversation with a little kid and bullets flying everywhere, and he didn't even care. And that's sometimes how the church is. Or you could think of every bad guy in every action movie in history. They couldn't hit a target if their life depended on it, like Rambo or Commando or any of those movies. And you look at that, and you're like, man, they're not... They're just idiots for bad guys. They just fill up the movie with idiots. And sometimes that's how the church behaves. Because they, they learn about the grace of God, and then they say, all right, that's awesome. Now let me put that on the shelf, and let me, let me just dishonor the Lord with my life. Let me do this, or do that, or partake in this. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? Don't do that. Don't do that. Paul says, not as fools. And uh, Adam Clark thought that this phrase, not as fools, was connected to the practices of devotion to the ancient guard Bacchus, or you might know him as Dionysus, uh, uh, which was worshipped with drinking and partying. Um, 
and he says uh, not to become madmen uh, in which, okay, so the followers of Bacchus or Dionysus, they would act like madmen running about, tossing their heads from shoulder to shoulder, appearing to, in every sense to be completely insane. That's how their worship of this God would be. And Dionysus was worshipped where? In Ephesus. So there's a really neat connection there. Paul says, walk in love, walk in light, and don't be an idiot. Walk accurately. Take time with your aim. Don't make fast decisions, but calm down and think about what God's wisdom would say. Jesus doesn't need an army of stormtroopers fighting, firing from the hip. You notice they never like aimed. They always were, were down here. This doesn't make sense at all. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So what is this wisdom? Well, the Bible says the wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And to be wise is different than being smart. Smart might say, protect yourself. Don't jump in front of a train. That's what a smart person would do, right? But a wise person, wisdom is totally different. Because wisdom might say, jump in front of that train to save the child that's there. Smartness says, protect yourself. Wisdom applies morality to your intelligence and, uh, and it, in a way that honors and pleases God. That's what a wise person cares about. An idiot cares about anything else, how to make money, how to have more fun, how to get more popular or have more experiences, how to waste their time in the funniest, funnest or funniest way possible, how to experience the world or nature or the internet. There's always a new cat video if you want to watch one. And a wise person cares about pleasing God more than anything. He can do, and he can do it in anywhere and in any situation. If you're on the internet, you can please God. If you're walking up in the mountains, you can please God. I'm not saying get rid of Facebook, but there's a way to use it with wisdom, and there's a way to waste your life. Because a wise person understands that the most valuable resource that any of us have is time. As DC Talks saying, time is ticking away. There's a quote from the 90s. And in verse 16, Paul tells us, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That we need to be wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In the movie Aladdin, Jasmine gets imprisoned by an evil Jafar in an hourglass, a giant one. Do you guys remember that? Anyone not seen the movie Aladdin? You need to have kids. Okay. In Aladdin, she gets trapped this giant snake guy puts her in there. And, and Aladdin, he's trying to rescue her. And he tries banging wood and all this stuff on the hourglass. But it doesn't work. It just bounces off. And so they end up just staring at each other as the sands cover her up. And her time runs out. It's interesting that they felt that the most valuable use of their last few seconds was in just staring at each other. Just looking at each other. And we are in a giant hourglass too. But it's not a prison, it's a fixed amount of time. A predetermined, non-flexible, we have a point of birth and a point of death and no more. That's all that we have. And a wise person will recognize the most limited resource we have is our time. Our life is pouring through the hourglass at an unstoppable rate. And Paul says, you're an idiot if you waste that time. And if you could... Henry David 
Thoreau said, as if you could kill time without injuring eternity. As if you could kill time without injuring eternity. The great 19th century novelist and Harvard professor Louis Agassiz was once approached by an emissary of a learned society and invited to address its members. Agassiz declined the invitation saying that the lectures of this kind were, uh, took up too much time and that he should be devoted to research and writing. The man persisted, saying that society was prepared to pay handsomely for the lecture. He says, that is no inducement to me, he said. I cannot afford to waste time making money. I can't afford to do it. Now, what a paradoxical statement. I thought making money was what it was all about. If I don't make money, how am I going to spend the rest of my life? Well, a wise man understands eternity and the finite life and what will matter in eternity, what matters in his limited life. He understands these things. And Paul says that a wise man will redeem the time in our lives. Our time is the currency. Our time is the currency. And what we redeem or buy with this currency is either eternal or it is wasted on the temporal. Every moment, we're spending it on something. You're buying something, and it's something that's either going to last or something that won't. And Aladdin and Jasmine realized what was important in the end. They expressed their love for each other. They spent the most valuable last few seconds just looking at each other's faces. And the Greek word for time here is also used in Galatians 6.10. So if you could flip over to Galatians 6.10... You'll see, but it's not translated time there. It's translated opportunity. Opportunity. Galatians 6.10, as we therefore have, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are the household of faith. So Aladdin and Jasmine had these last few seconds as the, she's just getting drowned in those sands. And they're like, you know what? We have just a little bit of opportunity left. I want you to know that I care for you. I want you to know that I love you. Interesting. Well, how do we redeem this life, this time? It says here, we use this opportunity to serve. In serving relationships. To do good to all men. All men, it says. So is it going to matter if, you're, if you walk the old lady across the street? Yes, it is. Doing good to all men or old ladies. And, but it's going to be even more valuable if you bless the church. If you come in and serve the kids or serve some coffee to someone or, or however the Lord leads for you to serve, it's going to be even more valuable. These serving relationships, spending your time, pouring it out, buying with the currency of your time, Blessing the lives of all men. We can take nothing else to heaven but our relationships. Investing in people, that's what it's all about. In fact, that's what Jesus did when he was on the earth. Most of the time he spent with people. He walked and talked and served them. He never let anything really distract him from that ministry. Yet we also see that his number one priority was always spending time with the Father. So he would get away and he would get up early and he'd go to the mountains or he would pray on a hill, modeling a life for us of that relationship being number one. And then number two, pouring out your life for everyone else, pouring out your life in relationships. And we redeem the time 
by loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others, just like the greatest command in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. All the, the people following Jesus came and said, Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? Which one's the biggest? What's most important to you, to God? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And number two, well, no, that's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. So love God and love others is how we can redeem the time, how we can spend the currency of our hours. And in verse 17 of Ephesians 5, we come back and he says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is saying, since life is so short and so valuable, don't be an idiot. Don't be foolish. And there's one thing that always leads to you being an idiot or unwise or foolish. And guess what that thing is? Alcohol. Alcohol. God wants you to be wise when it comes to it. This is not a prohibition. I'm not saying don't drink alcohol. I'm just saying most of the time it leads to you being an idiot. Verse 18, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, which is, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The world gets a thrill out of being drunk. Among other more ridiculous and evil reasons, getting a thrill is the temporary effect of getting drunk. It's just fun. It just is a good time. But it always fades. And every, every time someone has ever been drunk, the feeling and thrill has dissipated. It has faded. And what's left behind is lower than where they started. Sometimes the consequences of your actions while you're drunk, as you know, can be quite extreme. And he says, Paul says, when you get drunk, it's dissipation. And that's not a word we commonly use. And what it means is a waste. The technical definition is an abandoned, dissolute life. Or a life that's dissolute means just uh, full of sin and bad stuff. Abandoned. Total, dissolute means totally jacked up and evil or lost all value. And nothing is sad as being that feeling of abandonment that accompanies a life filled with drunkenness. So Paul contrasts this empty, messed up, meaningless existence with what's available to us. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, redeeming the time. The, the Greek in this be filled is very, very interesting because it, 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 it's actually, if we were to say it word for word, it would say, be being filled with the Spirit. It's a continuous thing that's a moment-by-moment thing, a be filled with the Spirit. It's never a waste of time. Some confuse this with the indwelling of the Spirit that happens when you're saved, but we need to think about this more like filling up our gas tanks in our cars. We have to go back over and over and over again for more. It's not a flaw in the system. It's not that, that God didn't give you all of his Holy Spirit when you were saved, because he did. It's a natural reminder that we need the resources outside of ourselves. We need those resources. When we were saved, we began a relationship with a person, and his desire is to be more real and important to 
us than any of our closest relationships we have. Parents, siblings, friends, spouse, all of them are supposed to be only shadows of what the Spirit is to be with us. It's a relationship we can trust, and we can trust in His power to change us, to engage us, to fuel us. Trust His guidance to lead us. Trust His forgiveness to restore us when we sin. His resources are always available. His well does not run dry. This life is not about doing it on our own, but in contrast, growing in dependence upon him. And it's awesome because the ancient Greek grammar for be filled also indicates two other important things. First, it's in the passive sense, uh, so it's not a manufactured experience. It's something that happens to you. What do you do? You go and wait upon the Lord. You spend time in his word and then it happens to you. It's not, you can't manufacture it. And that's why sometimes those churches that are just like, we're going to do this and that, and we're going to control the Holy Spirit, and it's like they're asking for a manufactured experience, which is a bummer because that's not how the Holy Spirit works. We wait upon him because he's a person. He has an opinion about when he wants to do things, and sometimes it's not right now. And that's interesting. And secondly, it's an imperative so it's not an optional experience. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, that coming to him and waiting for him until he equips you to go out and serve him is not optional, Paul says. This is the way church has to be, the way your life has to be. Of course, you can do it the other way. You can wake up in the morning and have no feel of need for the Lord and not come to the Lord, and guess what? You'll live that day in your own efforts and you'll be so tired, and you'll fail. You will, because our flesh reaps nothing but corruption. And if, you're, if that's the resources you're depending on, that's what we'll reap. But we depend on the Spirit. We come to the Spirit every day. He brings life into us on a daily basis. Drinking does not fulfill what you were meant to experience in this life, in this wonderful, valuable life that's been given to you. It shortchanges you. It takes away the value of who you are. It does not add to it. People go out and they spend all this money, hundreds of dollars sometimes, and it does not add one cent of value to them. Proverbs says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler. Whoever's led astray by it is not wise. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? How did I get this bruise? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine and those who in search of mixed drink. Do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and it swirls smoothly around. At last it bites like a serpent, stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. But I don't want to limit the application to just alcohol. Anything that you go to to get that feeling of a thrill, excitement, or value apart from the Spirit of God is missing out on what God has for you too. It's foolish as well. Weed, drugs, video games, TV, football, partying, Facebook, going to church, impressing people by how smart you are, Women, men, relationships, work, how good you are at your job, every single one of those things, if those are the things that cause your heart to beat faster, that cause you to get super pumped up, 
you're actually missing out on what God has for you. The Lord says, I can provide with that. You think I would create you and not provide that for you? I can do that for you. But we can choose. You know, they, the, all those things can make you drunk. I've never, I personally have never been drunk with drinking, but I have, have had many areas in my life where I consumed what the world mixed for me and I loved the thrill that it brought. And so I was the idiot. I wasted my time. I wasted days, weeks, months, and years of my life that I will never get back doing whatever it was that I was doing. But we can choose what to drink. We can deep, drink deeply from what this world offers, or you can drink of the Spirit. You know, yearly in the United States, alcohol is responsible for almost 100,000 deaths, 25,000 by drunk drivers alone, 6 million other injuries, and more than a billion $100 billion in economic losses. Why? Because the fruit of being an idiot is never worth it. Ever. It's never worth it. So what is worthwhile to do? All right, I get it. I'm not going to waste my life on things, but what is worthwhile? Well, he tells us in verse 19, Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is worthwhile to do? Paul gives us some examples of ways that we can walk in wisdom or accurately, not being a stormtrooper, but having a useful use of our time. Number one is worship. Speak to one another in creative and worshipful ways. Even if no one is around, he says, create a melody in your heart to the Lord because he will listen. He will sing along. You make up something and the Lord will be like, that's pretty good. I like it. I'll sing it with you. And that's amazing. These creative ways of worship. One of our surrender services, what we're going to do, maybe I won't tell you. No, I'll tell you. I'll give you, we'll see how it works. One of our surrender services, I want to, to come in and all of us write down or bring in maybe something that you've written, like a poem or a little story or a little testimony or something that you've written, and we can all come and share them with each other to build each other up. I think that would be amazing because I'm not the only person that's reading my Bible in here. I'm definitely not the only person filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this is, he said, this is a very valuable thing to do is to sing, to create something worshipful. And he says to give thanks, to give thanks for all things. Well, how can we do that? How can we possibly give thanks for someone hurting us or getting fired or anything else that we see as bad? How in the world can I give thanks for those things? It's a deep question. And I would gently ask you to turn to Romans chapter 28 and 29 and see what, it, what the Lord would say to you. I know that there are deep hurts and there are deep pain that we go through, that we experience. And to tell someone, you need to give thanks for that, is harsh. I understand that. But it can be valuable. And I would, I would lovingly come alongside and have you read this where it says, and we know 
that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, this is the key. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of God, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. All the bad things and all the good things are being used by God to conform you to the image of Jesus, to make you more like Jesus. Well, you might say, I don't care about being conformed to the image of Jesus. I just want to be comfortable. That really hurts. Okay, then. Then you won't. If you don't have the faith or trust to trust God in these hard things, then they will be wasted. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're walking with the Lord, you can give thanks for them and then experience what God has for you. God is going to make it worth it to obey him, to trust him is always going to be worth it. Ah, but it's so hard to give thanks for this. And I don't understand why it happened to me. I don't understand why I constantly have to deal with this big jerk in my life. Why, why did God just send this thorn in my flesh? And God would say, my grace is sufficient for you. And it's being used in your life for your good. So trust me. But if you say, no, I refuse to trust you, then it will be wasted. You could have grown, you could have come to know the Lord in a deeper way, but it will be wasted for the most part. Spurgeon said, every hour, yea, every moment has brought a favor upon its wings. Look downward and give thanks, for you are saved from hell. Look to the right and give thanks, for you are enriched with gracious, gracious gifts. Look on the left hand and give thanks, for you are shielded from deadly ills. And look above you and give thanks, for heaven awaits you. So here's a question I'll just throw out there. How can someone know the love of Jesus and the grace of God and not want or have an internal desire to abide in that and be conformed to that. I'll let you wrestle with that. If you, if you don't have any desire to be conformed to Jesus, that's, a, that's a, something you need to wrestle with. And you need to find out, do I know the Lord? Do I really know him? Is his spirit inside me? He says here, we give thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. We give thanks. We can give thanks to the Lord in the name of Jesus, which means that because of the revealed nature of Jesus, we can trust God that he's for us and not against us. If you ever wonder, why has God brought a jerk into my life? Ask Jesus. Go to Jesus and say, Jesus, were there any jerks in your life? He's like, yeah, they nailed me to a cross. Oh, well, how did you treat them? I said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing, and I love them. Oh, well, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> and he says, I know, but if you trust me and surrender, you could see me do some wonderful things. His nature and his character clearly show us that he's supremely interested in our salvation and not our destruction. He did not bring these meanies into your life 
this, these struggles with sickness and illness or these struggles with poverty or anything else that we're struggling with in here to destroy you. He never brought it in there to destroy you. It was all to build you up and to save you. And we know that. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him it might be saved. It's for your good. So, to walk with wisdom, we avoid anything that's a waste of time. We, and we instead spend our time praising God, giving thanks to God, and trusting in God's resources. So, to review kind of our walking in the Spirit whole thing, Paul has taught us three ways to walk in the Spirit. Three ways to experience all that God has for us in this short life. Three ways to know the will of God in every situation. Three ways to abide in Him, to remain in Him, to walk with Him. Number one, walk in love. Every relationship, we can be marked by this selfless love. We can serve and honor people, keeping our eyes on Jesus and his supreme example of love. Number two, we walk in light where every sin, we just take them, all the thoughts, we take them straight to Jesus and we, we run to him every moment for his light to bring us clarity, freedom, and fruitfulness. And then we walk in wisdom where we, every moment, become more efficient, more valuable, more useful for Jesus Christ all the rest of our days. Giving thanks worshiping and relying on his resources. Well, what else is worthwhile to do? The next verse says submitting to one another. But we're going to have to learn about that next week because we can't, even, we can't even do it justice by even mentioning it hardly. So we'll talk about that next week. But before we go, turn to Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, we have uh, a few parables about the value of your life. The value of this week, this week in July, when it's going to be like 90 degrees, 100 degrees, it's going to be so hot out. How is it going to be a week that's redeemed, bought back? How are you going to spend your time? It's interesting that that's a phrase, isn't it? Spend your time. How do you spend your time? What are we going to spend our time on? And in Matthew 25, we'll begin in verse 13. He says, watch, therefore. Watch. You do not know neither the day or the hour when the Son of Man is coming. And this could be in regards to the rapture, when he comes again, and we'll talk about that many times in the future, or it could be when you die. Because when you die... You will be meeting the Son of Man, Jesus. Verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a long journey. All right, so these talents, don't confuse it with our English word talents like you're talented at singing, or you're talented at cooking, or whatever. It's the word talent meaning a, a measure of a weight of gold, or, or a valuable money. It's a, we'll talk about it later, but that's, that's the term talent. Then he who had received the five talents went out and traded with them, and he made five, another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one 
went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. You enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he would receive one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed? So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and to him, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what are these talents? These talents are the opportunities of your life. The opportunities this week are talents that are given to you. And you have a responsibility to invest them for the Lord. We're responsible for all the opportunities he gives us. He sees them as the singular way our faith can be proven. It's super serious. You want to know how serious it is? Let's keep reading verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from, before, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. You were wise, we could say. You were wise. You redeemed your time. Verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Well, what a wonderful story. These people, you know, they say they're believers and they proved it by their actions. Remember what Paul told us in, G in Galatians, that we're to redeem our time and to do good to all people, especially those in the church, to use your talents. 
But that's not the end of the story. Verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And he will say to them, he will answer them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Well, what can we say about the guys that wasted their life? Number one, they thought they knew Jesus. They thought they were going to be okay. They did. They're like, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. Maybe they even said, I trust Jesus. But did they? What can we say about their, their lives that they wasted? Number one, they didn't think. They didn't think. Number two, they didn't work. They didn't pour out their lives for the Lord. They didn't even try. The guy who buried his, he just buried it. Completely wasted. Lost it. And they made excuses. They made excuses. But what have we done with our knowledge, our time, our money, and our abilities? Every single day is a test of whether your relationship with Jesus is real and growing or fake and stagnant. Paul says, walk in love. So we say, we love everyone in Denver. Paul says, walk in light. So we stay in the word and we take all our sins to Jesus. No problem. But then Paul says, walk in wisdom. So we cannot just sit in our comfortable houses and wait for something to happen. Do good. Redeem your time. None of it, none of it is yours anyway. It was given to you from the Lord. So invest your talents to everyone, but especially the church. Write a poem, sing a song, give thanks to the Lord. Do a prayer crawl instead of a beer crawl. Don't be an idiot. This life is so incredibly valuable. And we're not, if we're not careful, it will fly by so fast, and then we'll be standing in front of Jesus, and your life will declare something about your faith. But what will it be? James said, show me your faith, but I'll show you my faith by my works. And that's how it ends. I love how James just puts it out there like that. And Jesus said the same thing. If you're not walking in wisdom, you've got to ask yourself, do you know me? Do you know me?